Hi, I'm Paul, and this is Arconnect Sessions, episode 108. On this week's show, Donna and I talk with Kogonada, the writer and director of the critically acclaimed Columbus, a feature film that tackles complex human relationships set within the meticulously framed modern architecture of Columbus, Indiana. We'll also be sharing my conversation with Kyle Bergman, founder of the Architecture and Design Film Festival, about his mission of elevating architectural discourse through the art of cinema. So Columbus is your feature film debut, correct? Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about your work prior to making Columbus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been making video essays. I think that's what people are calling them. And uh, the, it's a, a kind of, um, for me, you know, they've always been a sort of attempt to make a little piece of cinema on cinema. You know, just by reworking footage and exploring form in cinema, that might be almost too much for me to call what I'm doing cinema, what I was doing as cinema on cinema. But, you know, it was my desire to do something very, to kind of visually explore cinema through footage, you know, of great filmmakers or great films. And I was doing that for the Criterion Collection. I was doing that for the British Film Institute and Sight and Sound. And sometimes I was just doing it on my own, you know, as an exploration. So, yeah, I mean, the last few years, I've been able to do that and other sort of commission work in the like uh, visual constructions. Um, so I've done that for other organizations and uh, publications. But mostly my work was through the British Film Institute and Criterion. So did you study film? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I was doing critical theory. I was working on this sort of aesthetic theory of time, and I was doing research on a particular Japanese filmmaker, um, Ozu, who has been a big inspiration and had a real sort of profound impact in my own sensibilities and, and really in my own being. So, um, yeah, I was doing research on his films and trying to work it out as a kind of critical study. Yeah, I noticed there were a lot of really beautifully edited video essays on your website looking at the work of Ozu, which I recommend anybody listening to this to uh, go check out. So can I ask, with studying the work of Ozu, obviously I, as an architect, I'm always drawn to the architectural aspects, but you have one, an essay on him called Passageways that's all about the spaces of movement, basically, the circulation corridors. That's right. Did you start to have an interest in architecture through looking at those films, or did you sort of grow up separately with an interest in architecture and then bring it to film? That's a good question. I think probably my interest in films made me interested in space. So I never okay. really even thought about the order because I think film was my first really foray into aesthetics and, and the realm of art and, and a certain kind of cinema, no doubt, sort of awakened that in me. And then I got interested in all elements, you know, of, of that as we do, you know, sometimes once one world opens up, it all opens up. And so I found myself really drawn to architecture. But when you say it that way, I think, you know, uh, Antonioni has, you know, his films have meant much, a lot to me and, and he deals with architecture and space. So, yeah, I think that maybe that was opening that sensibility and, and it certainly translated into the real world. 
But I, as I've said in other, you know, interviews too, my, my parents are really artistic people. And my father always encouraged me to pay attention to form. You know, uh, that was always some part of his like instruction to me to pay attention to the form of things. And, and, you know, for him, it was often like branches and rocks and mm -hmm. those kinds mm -hmm. of things. But he was always like, you know, that uh, for me to attend to those. So I think that naturally bled into probably architecture as well. Did your parents work in creative fields? You know, when uh, we were in Korea, yeah, my mom, you know, she did this uh, like Japanese flowers and silk flowers. And she was kind of known in to do that as a sort of uh, working on Japanese crafts. And, you know, they had businesses kind of in that sort of realm. But uh, when we immigrated, you know, they, they, you know, we really became a sort of working class family. You know, they just uh, started from scratch and started a business that had nothing to do with, well, I mean, there, there's some elements of creativity there, but it's not necessarily in that field. So when I knew them, you know, this is something that I discovered later, you know, like my grandfather was a calligrapher and was very, uh, uh, an artist. And, um, but, you know, growing up as a immigrant kid, you know, they were just working hard every day. And I didn't really know that except these little conversations, uh, my dad would have with me about paying attention to <laughs> forms, you know? So I think I always knew that, that they were mindful of that, but I didn't really really discover that side of them until a little bit later. And it turned out that they were also real cinephiles. I mean, they met, you know, because they had this sort of mutual love for, for films. And, and uh, so all of that makes more sense as, you know, as I got older. Where was it that you grew up? Where did you immigrate to? You know, we grew up in the Midwest. You know, I've lived mostly in in Chicago, but uh, I had uh, some time around Indiana, you know, uh, here and there. But it was a Midwest, you know, type of, uh, yeah, like when, when we emigrated, uh, we emigrated to the Midwest. Yeah. So was Columbus already quite familiar to you prior to beginning this project? I mean, as a writer and director of Columbus? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I passed by. I, I think in retrospect, I realized, oh, I passed by this exit a lot. You know, I think, you know, I have lived a good part of my life from Chicago, probably down to Nashville, you know, and I've taken that track a number of times. So you pass by the, the Columbus exit, but I didn't know anything about it really until I, I had read about it and then, you know, made a concerted effort to visit the town based on this article in the New York Times about the architecture in this small city, which I feel was fascinating. And, I, you know, it wasn't a location scout. It was just out of curiosity. But it didn't take long for me to, to imagine a film taking place there. You know, I, I mean, when I say it didn't take long, it was by lunch. I had said <laughs> to my wife, um, I have to make a film here. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's amazing to see that little conversation turn out to be a feature film. Yeah. What was your relationship to architecture or more specifically mid-century architecture prior to embarking on this project? Yeah. So, you know, my research was not just about this, you know, because it was also in critical theory, you know, it was about modernity uh, and, and modernism as a movement. And Ozu is often, there's a real debate about who 
you know, what his cinema is about and people have placed him in, you know, in the realm of modernism, but a kind of almost Western form of modernism. And they've talked to him, uh, talked about his cinema in the context of tradition. But for me, my approach was very much putting him in the conversation of, of a modernism, but a real alternative form of modernity that wasn't following, you know, the history of Western thought or, or even the modernism in the, in the West, but his own, him trying to make sense of how to be modern, you know, and, and this aesthetic expression in his cinema. So this question of modernism was really important to me. And even as someone who uh, is uh, wrestling with meaning in the modern world, I mean, it was very existentially important to me, not just academically. And so these conversations that architects were having in the mid-century, and, you know, I, I really love, even to this day, I, I think architects are one of the few artists who are still bold enough to, you know, have gigantic questions about their form and really believe that these decisions matter, you know, deeply. Mm-hmm. And I and I sort of love, I, I love that about architects. And even though, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of, I think we've realized now about certain limitations and, you know, even certain claims of truth and all of these things, even though they have been maybe rightly put into question, I still love the pursuit that architects have had in the 20th century and there and even this sort of desire and belief that art and design and aesthetics matter and that they can impact human beings that they can provide a way of being in this world that as modern human beings can be beneficial and i'm really drawn to that and i i think even personally not just not just intellectually but and so much of my film is really trying to address you know, how we appreciate these forms and and not want to reduce them to just pure intellectual appreciation, but that I have also felt really, you know, moved by architecture and and, uh, that sometimes I'll interact with an architectural building and it will stay with me. You know, it will just sort of haunt me in the ways that films have haunted me and and stay with me and make me continue to... uh, re-experience them. So yeah, I think personally, I feel really affected by architecture and design. And I love the history of modern architecture. I love the, the pursuit of it. Now, there's just so much to unpack there in what you just said for our audience, which is all architects. Of course, we will all agree with you completely that design matters and that, <laughs> that these spaces matter. I would like to, just with starting to talk about the actual movie Columbus, I would like to say that I think the little, op- this sort of opening sequence, sort of two scenes, basically, I, I, and forgive me because I'm very naive about film language, I, I terminology, but everything that happens uh-huh. up until the opening credit where it says Columbus is mm. just perfect. It's perfect. And it, to me, it's absolutely beautiful in the way that it starts with sound, the sound of, of the Parker Posey character's shoes on the floor. And then there's this incredibly beautiful moment where the professor picks up an umbrella and sort of walks off to go look at something else on the building. And he sort of appears and disappears behind a colonnade. And I, mm. I see myself in that so much because when I see something on a building I want to go see, I just go, you know, I just head towards it. <laughs> um, so I think that that opening was just so, so perfectly done. Oh, so thank just you. congratulations on that. <laughs> thank you. It all crumbles right after that, that title sequence. But no, I'm joking. 
no, no, it's, no, it totally doesn't. It's no, no, a beautiful I'm movie. No, I'm teasing. But uh, I wanted to say thank you. That's like hyper observant, and uh, that's so well articulated. And uh, and I really appreciate you noticing all the details, which maybe doesn't surprise me if you guys are, you know, like if architecture is, is your form. Oh, yeah. uh, so that's really a high compliment. Thank you. And well, and I mean, the, the, the compliment is to you because you handled every single moment, every single prop, every, you know, every moment of it is considered and careful. And I think every architect will absolutely notice that and appreciate it. I wanted to ask you about color in the movie, because I I feel like I really noticed this sort of use of primaries in their clothing or in, you know, accent pillows or uh, the Deborah Burke building. There's a little green light that I think is not actually a part of the building. It's something you maybe added. So I wanted to ask you about the sort of use of primaries and more muted colors through each scene. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it was uh, all sort of in the design and and I knew that I wanted to emphasize primary colors. And really it was about a certain kind of attention. You know, know, honestly, I'm always really hesitant to give too much about color and whatever symbolism, which, which I don't, you know, I'm not, it's not as if like all the colors have, uh, have a particular meaning in every scene, you know, Um, but it was definitely determined, uh, you know, throughout it. And I have reasoning for it, but I, you know, I, I sort of wanted to exist and, and if it, if it works, it does. And if it doesn't, you know, but yeah, but all that to say, we were really mindful of, the colors and it's something that we knew in every scene you know and i mean it was a a really rushed uh uh, you know we had 18 days to shoot the whole film and i i think we all sort of wished we had more times to really i think all the details mattered to everyone but yeah all that to say it was something that we discussed with every you know honestly with every setup so then i have to ask the follow-up question for me which is kind of a silly one which the smoking, they smoke in the movie. Yeah. And I wanted to know if the the smoking was more of a narrative <laughs> about the characters or if it was just about these puffs of smoke visually, you know, drifting across the screen in front of these hard-edged buildings. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do love that visual combination of, yeah. of these. Yeah, exactly what you say. But it was always narrative. You know, it really was always I think Casey is sort of carrying, you know, the world on her young shoulders. And, you know, in many ways, it's her really her only vice and uh, and yeah. obviously a kind of catharsis for her. You know, she's a really good daughter. And as I've said yeah. before, you know, her like her rebellion is to go out at night and watch, uh, stare at a building, you know, right. which is <laughs> like, uh, you know, if, if you're a parent, that's like pretty great, you know, yeah, that's exactly. that what, what a kid wants to run out and do. So, but it is like, you know, I think it is her like one one outlet for her that is almost a real necessity. And I, I think, I, I you know, from the beginning, when I imagined Casey, you know, I imagined her as a smoker. And, and I also imagined Jen that way, you know, and, um, you know, and if you know people who smoke or if you guys smoke, you also know the real bond that smokers will have uh, outside of a building and and they they will connect in that. And so, uh, you know, I think it was always how I imagined those two and always how I imagined that those two would uh, initially connect, you know, in the ways that uh, I know that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But it does. The side uh, advantage too is that it it, it also looks really lovely, you know, especially against those buildings. Yeah. The, the unpredictable shapes and organic forms of the smoke against the buildings. But I recall just, and I'll say yeah. this very quickly, and Paul, I really, I want you to be able to ask some questions too. Um, 
when I went, I was in grad school briefly at University of Michigan. And I remember a, a moment when I was doing a life drawing class and um, life drawing model went outside to the courtyard to have a cigarette between sessions. And she was like wearing this tiny little skinny robe and there was snow three feet deep on the ground. And she's just out oh there God. smoking in this little robe because she just needed that not just the nicotine, but yeah, that, that camaraderie of all of us that stood out there in the courtyard smoking, you know, it, yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes me want to film that. That that sounds so visually arresting. I, I love that. Oh, it was, it stuck with me for 30 years. Yeah. It's, it was beautiful. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the smoking was all part of this, um, this overall feeling that I had while watching the movie that it really brought me back to when the time that I spent studying architecture, the way that that uh, the characters analyzed and discussed architecture with such enthusiasm and and curiosity is something that um, that I felt was was such a critical part of my life during those those kind of formative years. Um, I mean, as someone that's not an architect, you know, and and the writer of this film, how how did you kind of how did you tap into that? I mean, what kind of research did you do, um, you know, to kind of because it, it seemed like you really successfully kind of got into the into the mind of a of an architect or architecture student from based on my own experience. Yeah, well, thank you. That means a lot. I mean, I think I like as you say to your film, like I am probably much more of a layperson when it comes to architecture guys are when it comes to films you guys are really great at talking about films i am someone who just really appreciates it but uh, at a very sort of amateur way but i do think maybe the reason why we can talk about each other's you know uh love of architecture cinema is because they i do think that there's a real nice relationship between those two worlds you know i think it's very easy for uh a, you know a film nerd to also to be a sort of a you know an architect nerd and vice versa. I, I mean, I just think that even in regard to architects and filmmakers and, and the role that the, they both play and the, and the need to collaborate in order to see their vision, you know, constructed, I just think that there are it's very familiar. So when I hear my friends who love architecture, maybe even more than film, it sounds really familiar to my ears, you know, and I, I think Casey for me is, although there's some uh, autobiography with Jen that maybe seems very, you know, the, the most obvious, but for me, I also really related to Casey because, it, you know, she reminds me of when I discovered cinema at a very critical time and really needed you know how it happens that it provides space for you when, and, and, and especially if you're going through a difficult time, it, it art does that. And so I really deeply related to Casey with my discovery of cinema and her discovery of architecture. So I think some of it is just that there is a really nice parallel. Also, because I have looked into modern architecture and I have had those discussions with people who are much more informed, but I've loved hearing them. And I, I you know, to this day, I love hearing people talk about modern architecture. You know, I've been to tours and, and lived in Chicago. And, you know, I used to uh, walk by the Frank Lloyd Wright buildings, uh, houses uh, frequently. So it's a world that I, I sort of uh, adore. I sort of believe in, you know, not even sort of, I do. So it's, yeah, I think it has just always been important to me. Well, you know, actually those comments make me think that perhaps the reason that your script connected with me as an architecture student is because your relationship with architecture at this point is similar to 
an architecture student's relationship with architecture, you know, as someone that is is currently in the process of really kind of exploring this world and has not yet been jaded by it, which <laughs> can often, you know, which I think it can be a much more refreshing perspective. I remember when I started Archonnect 20 years ago, some of the comments that I received from people was that, you know, I like Archonnect so much more because it's not a website that was made by a web person. You know, it was it was made from the perspective of an architecture student rather than someone from, you know, made from the perspective right. of someone that creates websites. So, right. you know, I think that that kind of fresh perspective. Right. Yeah. No, and I think that that's right. I think my own, you know, there is there are these two characters, right? One who is very cynical about architecture and who grew up with it, grew up with this sort of father who's a scholar and this person who is really discovering it. And and it, it was through her eyes, you know, like even her ranking buildings and what you do when you're young, too. You know, you're you're like you're ready to create a list and have favorites. And I really wanted to try to understand it through really young like someone like when I first discovered cinema, you know, the enthusiasm and yes, you're not cynical yet. You don't know too much that starts getting in the way of your appreciation. And so that was a real, like even her list to me was very much about someone who just is discovering, like really kind of borrowing the eyes of Deborah Burke to understand it. And, and really the things that are maybe, you know, more, I don't even say obvious because I think, you know, she is trying to really appreciate, you know, the, the depth of modernism. But yeah, I think it was that conversation too, because I, that happened to me with cinema. You know, once I started my dissertation and really there was this thing that I really loved and it, it meant the world to me. But once I got into academia, I could feel it dying. You know, I could feel something yeah. like dying and, and, and I, you know, it really, you know, there was a moment where I had to stop and, you know, I, I don't, I appreciate academia and I appreciate the deep understanding of a subject and I think it's necessary. But I, you know, part of this film was me also trying to understand art, you know, better and, and trying to figure out, because I think it's so necessary more than ever, you know, in our world. And, you know, and I want to believe that design matters, even the, in the face of tragedy or poverty or political unrest, that it's not just something elites do to distract themselves. It's not just, a, you know, it's not just yeah. about leisure. Yeah. I want to believe that it matters. And so that's a real fundamental question, that boundary between just naive enthusiasm and a kind of cynicism, you know, that uh, where you just start disliking everything and, you know, trying to understand that at some level was was really a part of a part of this film. And I think even Columbus, there are buildings that if you're really an architecture scholar, you know, you might focus on other buildings and there are certain buildings that were not that aren't even in the film that probably should be if if the primary interest is you know, architecture from an academic, you know, perspective. But I didn't want to make a film that was just a sort of academic perspective of art architecture, you know. So to me, and so coming from the perspective of a 50-year-old woman whose greatest love is architecture, I, I found the movie to be exceptionally passionate. I think part of what I, you know, I went before it came out, I was reading reviews. Obviously, I've been excited about it from the beginning. And um, there's a review in The New Yorker, and I'm going to quote from it. Richard Brody wrote, Koganada films the sharp-edged contrapuntal lines of the city's avant-garde buildings with an analytical ardor. And I like got this frisson <laughs> of pleasure when I read that. I mean, I just thought, yes, that's exactly the way that you're 
the camera frames and films and views these buildings. And then the whole story, of course, the narrative, there's this, and I don't want to give any spoilers for people who haven't seen it, but there's these, a lot of unconsummated passions in the movie. You know, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. people feeling drawn to one another or to things and not being sure if they could consummate that, basically, either sexually or emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you you made a very passionate movie, not one that's at all academic. Do you you agree? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, that that was a real desire, you know? I mean, I I knew that... I knew that the approach was going to be formal, you know, because yeah. I, again, I mean, forms matter to me, but I didn't, I wanted it to have a lot of humanity, you know, and I, I really did want this sort of modernism with soul. I wanted, right. I right. mean, there's a kind of modernism that can feel cold and alienating and, and maybe rightly so. I think there are people who want us to feel that. And I understand that. Uh, and it's, I, I can even value it, but I really wanted a film, you know, that was deep, that felt deeply human and and passionate uh, in, in, in ways, and um, that mattered to me, you know. And I, I'm sure for some, it's going to feel like not passionate enough. But for me, that was the desire, you know. And and yeah, that really, I'm glad that you feel that way. And reading that, hearing that from, uh, from that Richard. Brody quote, that Brody, was, yeah. yeah, that is such a humbling. You know, I have read him all for forever, and so when uh-huh. he wrote that it was uh it's all been humbling and overwhelming but it's uh, yeah i'm, I'm really grateful, grateful that's lovely yeah. to hear but you made a beautiful beautiful film so you know you need to get used to hearing the praise <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and Thank let you. me say that also again as a 50 year old woman parker posey was just perfect because she's got that sort of stressed out oh, manic energy but is also just extremely sensual she's she was amazing oh, <laughs> oh she is so great. I mean, really, <laughs> Parker Posey. Yeah, I mean, and so, you know, I think a lot of people talk about the, the form of the film, and, and I'm glad to talk about because that's really important. But yeah, I think that the actors, uh, you know, Haley Lou, John Cho, and Par- I'm yeah. so glad you mentioned Parker because I, I feel like she embodies that world and and got it. You know, she, you know, she also came in and knew exactly how she was going to dress, you know, knew exactly this character yeah. and, and really built her from this sort of small role but really like fleshed her out in ways that were surprising and i feel like they are the soul of the film and and you know without them it might just feel you know academic you know but they really provide a lot of um yeah a lot of humanity a lot of in in that film but uh yeah i love parker posey she's so great <laughs> did she select her own wardrobe yeah it's from you know it's designed by her friend rachel comey who's this great designer and okay. she uh she said hey i know this character and i'm i'm going to bring my i'm going to bring the wardrobe of, of rachel and we were all you know like her Ra- rachel is like amazing and uh yeah she brought she brought that uh uh her her wardrobe i think there might have been one or two things that our costume designer provided but it's mostly her uh this from this collection that is so interesting because i i mean when i watch films there's certain things that i that i really pay attention to that Usually wardrobe is not one of them, but her particularly her wardrobe was memorable to me because it, she did seem to really yeah. kind of capture that character perfectly with with her clothing. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah no, she perfect. is fantastic. Yeah. I, I actually thought all the costuming was wonderful. And I want to add one more thing, because I don't think I've ever mentioned this with the 
the smoking because I've had that question asked, but it, you know, it just struck me because they've talked about other things in my film that really relate to this thing that we were all exploring, which was uh, absence and presence, the relationship between absence and presence, which I find, you know, in architecture, often the most exciting thing for me. And, you know, I think smoking also and steam and Ozu does this often as well, but there is something really lovely about smoke and the temporality of smoke, you know, the, uh, uh, impermanence of it and you see it right away you know you see it yeah. like dissolving in front of you so to answer that question you asked long ago i i know that that was uh also a part of what smoke does in front of us and and the way it, it reveals impermanence uh has always been you know so interesting to me you actually predicted my question because i wanted to ask you about emptiness okay. and absence and i've read interviews you've said the, the the movie is in a lot of ways about absence and struggling with absence and where you find emptiness and where there's beauty and emptiness. I don't know if you're familiar. There's a book. Called, it's an old, old book, a very short book by Michael Benedict called Foreign Architecture of Reality. And he talks about these sort of four things that are good architecture should contain. And one of them is emptiness. So this this notion, which is a very Asian concept, too, of of emptiness being yeah. a, an actual thing. I, I wanted to know if you had sort of an example from the world of architecture where you experienced emptiness in that way, or w we talked a little about that before, but uh, yeah, could you just talk a little about, about emptiness and absence? Yeah, well, first of all, tell me that title again, because I've not read that. It's a tiny little book. It was published in 1980 during like the height of postmodernism, and it was sort of a backlash against postmodernism, and it's called For an Architecture of Reality. And it's just a, a tiny little pamphlet. Oh really. I want that book. Yeah, okay. yeah Benedict. <laughs> the author's reality. last name is Benedict. Uh, so, <laughs> okay, good. So yeah, so he talks about the you know the space between things, which is this this Asian uh, uh, yeah. Japanese concept of ma mm -hmm. and um, how architects make boundaries and the boundaries make empty space. So obviously in the Ozu films, that's a huge part. You know, yeah. Could you just talk a little more about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me that is the question that I have as as a as again a modern human being that's trying to trying to find meaning and and you know before uh, Columbus I knew that the my first feature which I was already sort of working towards was going to be about absence in relationship you know and really about children dealing with parents um, and having to either the, the burden of, of a loss of parent either by having to move away from them or for losing them permanently which was really on my mind that is certainly a subject that Ozu has tackled so and I think it's one of the great modern subjects which is how do we address absence, you know, which in the past, there have been traditions and religions that try to fill that uh, hole. But um, I've always looked to, to art and modernism to, for me, to kind of get my mind around this thing that has haunted me since I was a young kid. And it is true that the construction of, of emptiness, the, and not just the construction, but valuing emptiness, like both constructing it as something that is something to be inhabited something to reveal, something to find beauty in, as opposed to, you know, when I was a kid. And, and, and I think there is a sort of Western reaction against it. You know, it's uh, like nihilism mm -hmm, and it's something that, that, that you're running away from or you're trying to fill with other uh, ways to escape from it. But when I started seeing it in the realm of art as a way to, uh, to find meaning in the absence, you know, to not try to escape from it, but to really abide in it and to find meaning in it, man, you know, that had such 
a profound effect, you know, on me. And it, and it certainly drew back to my, as, as an Asian, you know, it, it also recalled something, you know, uh, in my own tension of, of living uh, here uh, and having, you know, two kinds of sensibilities within me, but it right. really recalled something too. So, and to see that in architecture, I think, you know, yeah, you know, I think even glass itself, you know, you see glass and it's such a simple material, but it really does make you pay attention to nothingness in a way, you know, it really right. gives um, a way to suddenly see this thing that's always in front of us. That's always, yeah, it's always before us, but until someone begins to frame it or find ways to uh, present it as, as something uh, to value. And yes, you know, there's the bowl, you know, there, Ma is such a rich concept. Uh, and Ozu was really my first entry into really seeing the, the, the poetry of, of absence, uh, which is so significant. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's also why I'm so drawn to modern architecture, you mm-hmm. know, uh, because to me, seeing space and emptiness and, and really like for some, you know, deep, it deeply resonating with me. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I, I, you know, my head is filled with a bunch of examples of that, but I, yeah, mm-hmm. but I think in general, you know, it, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it has meant quite a bit to me, you know, um, you know, I even think about the, the Dan Kiley's, even in the landscaping, you know, this, uh, behind the Miller house, you know, I, I think yeah. about that. God, it, you know, when I look into that space, it has so much resonance uh, with me. And, you know, you want to ask this question, like, you know, you know, there's, there's something about, like, I, I think when some people walk into, and you see this in museums too, or galleries where there's just all this emptiness and there are these few paintings and it almost feels gratuitous or something to just create all this space for the sake of space, you know? And I sometimes think about that, like, oh, wow, it's, uh, like, God, you know, it's undeniably moving to me. You know, it's undeniably yeah. moving to, to, to create that space and make you attend to it. It's, yeah. And of course, and, you know, in the courtyards and in, in both in Korea and Japan are, are really significant for that reason too. So, yeah. I will point out that because you are a fellow Midwesterner, I noticed the sound of cicadas in the movie as a way of sort of showing air and showing emptiness and space. Oh, that, God. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's so great. You are a really, you shouldn't call yourself a layperson when it comes to this because you are observing everything. That, yeah. I mean, the sound design really was important. The footsteps, mm, yeah. The, yeah, the rain falling, it was just, the sound was perfect. Thank you. Many, many photographers often say that capturing architecture and photography is one of the most difficult things. I'm wondering, first of all, who was who the director or who was the, uh, the DP on this project? And how did you work with that person in kind of capturing the, the architecture? Sure. And he you know, deserves so much credit. I mean, he's an artist in his own right. Sorry. What does DP mean? Director of photography. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. See, I'm naive. Yeah, I have no cinem- idea. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Cinematographer. But he, um, Elisha Christian or Elijah Christian, but it's spelled E-L-I-S-H-A. And, you know, I had seen a short film that he had DP'd uh, called Pink Grapefruit. And uh, it, it, I think it was almost a singular location. It was a real modern 
home in um, California, I believe, where, you know, it is a beautiful, you know, house, uh, modernist house, and it was beautifully shot. Uh, and yeah, I think really that that really grabbed my attention. And we talked and I had, um, you know, uh, a lookbook. I had uh, stills from a number of films that were going to be references for the way this film was approached. And yeah, we just had a really good discussion it was very collaborative. He's, he he's, has a, you know, just a great uh, demeanor as well. And once we got to specifically shooting the film, you know, we spent time at each location. We, you know, we walked around it. He knew, you know, that I wanted to go wide and really stay in the space. And he also had thoughts and insights. And, you know, we, every morning, even during the shoot, he picked me up every morning and, and, you know, every morning before we started shooting, we had these discussions. So it was really a wonderful kind of collaboration. And uh, I should also mention that one of my producers, uh, Keijin Kim, is a producer, but he's also a cinematographer, shot a really wonderful film that got into Sundance a year before called Spa Night, also deeply influenced by Ozu. So really, the three of us, it was a really lovely conversation, you know, and, you know, debate and, and, and all of that. But it, it was um, a big part of, of making the film. I want to say, too, that, you know, I knew that our advantage over photography, because I love, you know, photographs of architecture, but it, it can sometimes make it feel like just an object. And I think the thing that I love about architecture is that it also is just a part of everyday life. You know, it becomes a part of the environment and not just an art object, but something that people move through and almost becomes invisible. And I was really, I think we really wanted, like, I was so excited to put it in time, you know, to make it for it to be a part of duration and for it to be a part of a narrative. You know, we were really excited about that possibility. So we like to ask our guests at the end of our conversations a couple questions. What are you currently listening to and what are you currently reading? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I have been so busy that uh, <laughs> I feel like I've not had time to do much of either. I'm trying to think of the last book that I read, you know, I've been reading scripts because, uh, of, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in the middle of, of um, trying to identify my next project. But although I've read books related to some of these scripts, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say what those are. <laughs> so yeah, I know. I know. That's so sad. Sometimes this question kind of sneaks up on people and then, you know, you don't realize what the answer is until you're laying in bed at night. Uh -huh, I know. I know. We've been listening. My kids have been into uh, Hamilton. So that has been going on nonstop. So, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's been a popular response from our from our guests. There you go. Yeah, it has been. Lots of people listening to Camelton. Uh, I'll tell you that we had um, the great architects, Todd Williams and Billy Chen on. And Todd Williams, when we asked him, basically said, I don't read anything except the New York Review of Books so that I sound like I, you know, <laughs> read things. So. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's one of the great That's artists good, yeah. of our time. So, you know, it's fine. You don't have to you don't have to read yeah, heavy books okay, all the time. Okay. <laughs> Well, congratulations on on the yeah. film. I think it's Seriously. I think it's a really beautiful piece of work and a great way to start your feature film career. And looking forward to your next project. Do you have any ideas of what you might be working on next? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's narrowing down. So I'm writing an original project, and then I'm also reading scripts. So the question of what is next is 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 the question. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about what I'm writing about right now. And there's another sort of subject that I also may start writing, but I can't really give you the details. Although 
you know, I visited the glass house not too long ago. And, you know, I do realize that, uh, how inspired I am by space and really this, uh, my own script, uh, Columbus really didn't take off until I realized, oh, I want to film it in Columbus. So I wonder if that is going to be, I've been asking that question recently, you know, uh, I really respond to place narratively. That wasn't a hint that I'm going to make a film on the glass house, but it, it was a conversation. <laughs> I'm not, that, that isn't necessarily my uh, project, but. And, and let me just say, too, that uh, one of the real treats of making this film is getting to really interact with the community of architects and, and architecture enthusiasts and scholars and all of that. I mean, it's just a dream world for me. And just I got to meet Deborah Burke uh, at one of the New York screenings. Uh, and, you know, obviously, she's a part of the film, but I've often right. loved what what she has to say and even talking to you. So it's, you know, I, I hope that space uh, will always be a part of my films. And I hope to keep that conversation going with people like you, because I, I really love that world. And, and the people who are in that world, I, I love the way they talk about form and the way they care about it unabashedly. You know, I think it's not always uh, in vogue in other art forms to to act as if it matters, you know, really deeply. And I love the architecture world because it, it seems like that people believe it matters. And, and I, I love that. You know, I, I, I love that. Well, you got to make another architecture movie. So we have an excuse to bring you back on the podcast. Yeah. And we'll flock to that's, it. That's the deal. Fantastic. Okay. okay. Good. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Oh, good. Good. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kogonada. If you haven't had a chance to catch Columbus in the theaters, you'll have another chance to screen it during the Architecture and Design Film Festival in New York this November. For a more detailed look at the festival, let's take a listen to my conversation with Kyle Bergman, founder of the Architecture and Design Film Festival. So you started the festival nine years ago, is that right? Back in 2008? Exactly. So um, actually, I had been thinking about it since 2001, probably. Uh, and I'm an architect, and I had a publishing company at the time, and I was I just, you know, thought it would be an interesting thing. But at that point, there weren't that many good films out there, enough good films to do a festival. And But by the time 2008 came around, I realized there was actually enough good films to do a festival each year. And so we launched it in 2009. And um, so this fall in New York, in November, will be our ninth season of films, unbelievably. Wow. So what inspired the Architecture and Design Festival? You mentioned that you're an architect. Do you have a background in film or has this just been kind of a passion of yours? Well, you know, I actually, when I was in undergraduate school, I was studying both film and architecture. But the festival actually comes from something else. It really comes as architects. We talk to ourselves all the time and it's really great dynamic conversations. But one of the things that's uh, that we don't do as well as, as a group is broaden that conversation. And so film, you know, so a film festival, really the goal of it and the thought behind it was how do we, you know, take what we do and know about and broaden that conversation. And so I programmed the festival to be interesting both to design professionals, but just anyone interested in architecture or design. And so we have ended up with audiences about 50% design professionals and 50% just anyone else. And that the goal is really to make that connection and, and enhance that dialogue between the profession and non-profession. And that was the opportunity of the film festival. And so far, it's been working. Well, part of the programming in the festivals has been panel discussions. What are some of the topics that come up during these events? So, you know, we make the panels after we uh, select the film program, and we try to make panels that are about more than one film, not always one film. For example, so with this year, we have a film called Columbus, and it's our first, it's actually our first 
narrative film that we've ever showed at the festival. Everything else has been documentaries. But, you know, the ideas of Columbus bring up ideas of what, you know, what makes cities, you know, dynamic. Or even, you know, was Columbus the first kind of Bilbao effect? And, you know, by what they did in Columbus, making great architecture, drawing people and keeping people there, it's kind of a topic that's not only about Columbus in the film, but, you know, what Frank Gehry did in Bilbao and, and many, many other places. So we try to do panels that are broader than just one film. So for the Columbus panel, is that a panel that you've already had taken place or is that scheduled for this this next festival in, in November? So Columbus will show at the festival in November, and we're working on a panel right now. We haven't put together all the panelists yet, but there's two possibilities. Koganada, the director, uh, hopefully will come up to New York and we'll do something from his perspective about the film. But then I hope we also do another panel talking about the idea of using architecture as a way to uh, enhance the city and bring keep people there or bring people there, and hopefully we'll bring some other uh, architects or city planners from other areas who can talk about this bigger idea of the value of architecture and, and how does it enhance people who live there and people who come to visit. So you you mentioned that it's about a 50-50 split between designers and, and just kind of the general public. Was that your original intention or ha- have you been surprised by, by the turnout? You know, that's really been, that was the goal to make it so it's the films are interesting to both. And so the films that we program, they have to reach both those bars, the, the bar of being, okay, This uh, any design professionals would find this interesting, but also just have some kind of human story or other story so that you don't have to be so ingrained in the profession to understand it or be involved in it. And so a lot of films, when we preview 300 films a year and we select about 25 or so, 30 at the most. There are a lot of films that we that we look at that are interesting from a content perspective, but don't have enough of a storyline or story perspective, so we wouldn't show it. And maybe like AIAs or other organizations like that who are all professionally focused might want to show that kind of film, but we really try to not show, we don't show those. So what is it that qualifies a film to be included in, in uh, your festival? Yeah, so what we're looking for is it has to have a great design story, and it could be about a person who makes, you know, it could be a design... Uh, the process or product and urban design, landscape design, architecture, product design, graphic design. We kind of look at it all together, all as just design. Uh, so it has to be that dynamic design story of some type, but then also have a human story. So um, maybe the most well-known film of this in this genre uh, would be My Architect. And what's fantastic about My Architect is that it is, you know, it is Nathaniel Kahn doing a film about his dad, Lou Kahn. And so as architects and designers, we're super excited about it because it's a film about Lou Kahn and talking about his work and his ideas. But it's also equally as, you know, what made it an Academy Award nominated uh, documentary film was that it's really a son's search for his father. And so there's this human side of the story, which anyone could relate to this, you know, both tragic and interesting human story and, and happy human story of Nathaniel uh, finding out more about his dad and other things that were happening in his dad's life. Dad's life you know, his other families. And even though that was hard to under, to find out about, but it was also explained a lot of things about his relationship with his dad. So, um, so that film reaches both bars. I would say any film that kind of comes close to either one of those bars are the kind of films that we're interested in showing. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed a, a change in the way that films have been getting made since you started this festival nine years ago? Actually, since since I started looking at these films in 2001, there's, first of all, a lot more films being made that would be potentially appropriate for the Architectural Design Film Festival. But also, you know, over the last, I would say, 15 years, there's been, you know, with the technology getting better. So the price of making a film 
uh, has come down a lot, a documentary film like this. So more and more people can get involved in making short films or feature-length films. And I think there's just more and more documentaries being made across the board about every subject. So we see huge amounts more of, of films being made now than when we first started uh, nine years ago. Also, I think because of festivals like ours, and there's some other smaller festivals out there in Europe and the rest of the world, there's more outlet for these kind of films. And then more um, with more with more visual content on websites and other places, more and more people are making short films about architecture and design. So we uh, have a great opportunity to look at a lot more films, the big films. So the next festival that's taking place, that's, that's the one that's going to be happening in New York in November. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, there's a small one that we're doing. It's in Montana at a classical music venue called Tippet Rise, which will be the last festival in this eighth cycle of films. And that will be September 22nd through 24th. It's in Whitefish, Montana. And then November 1st through 5th in New York will be our ninth version of film, our ninth program of films. And that will be a whole new selection of films that we'll program. And we have, you know, we have some great films scheduled for this fall. Can you share any of those films? I know that on the website, it, it says that they're uh, going to be announced soon, but uh, can you give us a preview into uh, some of the films that might be included? Well, sure. So the opening night film has been selected. It is a new film called Glenn Market, Spirit of Space, about the Australian architect Glenn Market. And uh, this will be a U.S. premiere of this film. It's a great film. And what I love about it is, so Glenn has done mostly, almost all residential work his whole career. I mean, he's a Pritzker Prize winner and just, you know, a beautiful, amazing modernist architect uh, and, and very environmentally sensitive for a long, long time. But he was, uh, a number of years ago, he was asked to do his first public building and the first one they ever accepted, and it's a Islamic center and mosque in Melbourne. And um, he is not not his religious faith, but he was really curious about it and really uh, said, okay, I'll do one if you let me do a modern mosque. So he has designed this beautiful modern mosque in Islamic center in Melbourne that just opened last month. And so the film looks at his whole career, but also that building. And we're really proud to be showing that and very excited about it. Mm. Oh, I, I really want to see. He's one of my favorite architects. He's, his work is beautiful. Yeah, his work is beautiful. And his also his spirit of architecture. When you hear him talk or you meet him, or you talk to him, it's just, uh, it's really joyous as an architect to hear him talk about architecture. He, he's truly amazing. So let's see, what else do we have? We have a, a Scottish film called Building Hope, the Maggie Centers. Uh, this will also be a U.S. premiere. It is, so the Maggie Centers are uh, these cancer centers that are connected to hospitals in Scotland. And the first one was done 20 years ago by this woman, um, Maggie, who was uh, diagnosed with cancer, an architect. And she was sitting with her husband in this kind of horrible hospital. Uh, her husband uh, was Charles Jenks, the landscape architect. And they realized that they're getting like this critical information in their life in this awful institutional uh, hospital. And so she kind of dedicated before she died to creating and designing this almost like a hospice center, care center, hosp uh, cancer patient facility next to the hospital. And it was very residential and warm feeling. And then unfortunately, um, she passed away. But then there was a goal to start to make more of these. And then the third one, Frank Gehry does. And he does this amazing because uh, Maggie and Frank were old friends. And Frank designs this amazing uh, Maggie Center. And then since then, Zadiz has done one, Norman Foster, Richard Rogers, uh, Stephen Hall working on one. I think Thomas Hedwick is uh, working on designing them. And there's these amazing little buildings by hospitals uh, all throughout Scotland dedicated to humane places for people dealing with cancer. So it's a fantastic film. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great project. The the Maggie Centers and and the uh, the architecture that goes along with that project is just mind blowing. Yeah, mind blowing, and and it's the perfect kind of combination for both the human story and the design story, and talking about the power of healing of architecture. So we're thrilled to be showing that. Uh, we have actually another Australian film uh, called The Diplomat, The Artist, and the Suit, and this is about a. a Interesting modern Australian firm, Denton, Corker, and Marshall. Uh, they recently did the Australian building at the Venice Biennale, the permanent uh, building, and just a fantastic kind of modern architectural firm. Not so well-known here in the States, but critically and well-known in Australia and other parts of the world. So really happy to be showing that. We have, uh, we're going to show a new film uh, called Rem, made by Thomas Coolhouse, Rem Coolhouse's mm-hmm. son. Yeah. Yeah, he was on the podcast recently to discuss uh, that movie. So it is a really interesting, you know, look. Obviously, it's a very personal, intimate look at his dad's ideas, and is you know trying to. Uh, the film is really trying to get deep into what Rem is thinking about and his approach to architecture. And I think it's a dynamic, really, like Rem's work. It's very intellectually stimulating uh, and visually stimulating. And will Columbus be uh, screening as well in New York? So actually, we will be screening Columbus uh, at the festival this fall, and we're really, um, really happy to present it because we have never ever shown a non-doctor, a, you know, a narrative film. It's the first time ever that we looked at a narrative film and said, not only is you know that this is a really critical or important film for the film festival. So we selected it a number of months ago. It's had a it's had a nice theatrical run in New York and elsewhere around the country, and we're really happy to be showing it because it talks about the power of architecture and design uh, through a, a narrative story. And um, Koganada, who made it, the director, has a great take on architecture and design. And it's a film that I think the general public learns a lot about architecture and design. And then it, the design community you know, knows Columbus as a mecca. And so it's great to see a film on that. It's actually surprising how many people are not aware of the uh, architectural significance of Columbus. So it's, it's great to see that movie um, raise that awareness over there. Before we finish, um, do you, I, I was, uh, I'd like to um, just ask a personal question. Do you have any, uh, any favorite architecture movies that either recent or, or uh, from way back that kind of helped craft your, your interest in, in this genre? Yeah. You know, um, it's tough to pick favorites. They, they change all the time, but I would say there's definitely a selection of films that are kind of some of my go-to films that I love very much in this genre, in this little niche. And the obvious ones that people know about are My Architect and Sketches of Frank Gehry. I think those two films really kind of, you know, one's done in 2003 and one's done in 2005. And they set the tone for this genre, if this is a genre of film, set the tone for this genre of film. Then there's a huge amount of films that are really fantastic, made over the years, that uh, are some of my personal favorites. Let's see what would be some of them. I think Citizen Architect about the Rural Studio is a fantastically made film and gets across important ideas about architect and also community spirit. There's one of my favorites is Antwerp Central, which is made, it's a kind of a historic preservation film about the train station in Antwerp, but it is just talks about the history of that building. There's kind of magical realism involved in the making of this film, uh, and it takes it from the 1860s and what's happening in the Belgian Congo through World War One, through World War Two, how the building changed, how the people used it differently into a modern edition that was done about 10 years ago. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a great 
way to show, talk about architecture and design and history and urban planning all together. It's a fantastic film. So I, I've noticed uh, the the festival started in New York and you've been adding more cities. Do you, do you plan to continue adding more cities to take this festival to, or have you kind of maxed out on time and, and uh, places? You know, we haven't maxed out, you know, when we take it to other cities, it's a, we work, we partner with other organizations. So there are collaborative processes. We bring the festival there. So in Tulsa, we work with the Tulsa Foundation for Architecture. In Seoul, when we brought it there, we worked with the, uh, Hyundai card and their gallery called Storage Gallery. So no, we haven't maxed out. Actually, next year, we're going to add the National Building Museum in D.C. And we're talking to people in Santa Fe and Athens, Greece, to add to the uh, lineup of films. And we're also bringing back the whole festival back to L.A. next March, March 14th through 18th. And we'll do that downtown. Oh, excellent. Same venue as last time? Yeah. Uh, same venue as last time, exactly. So it's the uh, Los Angeles Theater Center in downtown uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, nice, nice, great building. Nice, brutalist, beautiful uh, old bank building with yeah, down on uh, on Spring Street, right? Exactly, exactly downtown. Yeah. So I think um, the the other cities. I mean, New York is our home, and then we add the other cities when it makes sense each year. And we just finished our second festival in New Orleans last week, and you know, so they ebb and flow in the different cities. But we're open to bring it to more places. We we love doing that. Excellent. Well, for listeners out there in uh, in Montana, you, uh, Whitefish, uh, end of September, right for the next one, and, uh, and then uh... exactly that one's really though a destination. You got you got to be committed. It's in the really in the middle of nowhere, but it's this beautiful building that was designed for classical music. Just opened last year, and then there's some really large land art pieces out on the on the property there. And so we had a couple of films more about land art. We had a film on Patrick Doherty, who has a sculpture there. And then we have a new film on Andy Goldsworthy called Leaning into the Wind, uh, which we'll show out there as well as anyone coming out for the festival can get out to see some of these site-specific artwork, some done by Stephen Talasnik or Ensemble Studio from Boston. It's, re- it's really a dynamic weekend. So it's, if you're from Montana, great. But if you're from Denver or L.A. or or Vancouver and fly in there for a weekend, it's it's going to be an amazing weekend of films. Yeah, sounds like a great excuse to go to Montana. And then uh, for those in, great <laughs> we have a lot of we have a lot of listeners in New York. So if you can't make Montana, New York, uh, early November, November first to fifth. Yep. And tickets will go on sale October first, and all the information will be on the website in about a week or so about all the films great. coming up for this year. And that's at adfilmfest.com, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for, for talking to us about the festival. It's a great event that, that you're hosting. We're big fans here at Arconnect. And if we can't make New York, we are very much looking forward to when you come to L.A. Okay, well, perfect. We're looking forward to seeing you. And uh, great talking with you, as always. Thank you. Thanks to Koganada and Kyle for joining us this week. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, ArcSessions, or with hashtag ArconnectSessions. You can also send us an email to connect at arconnect.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Thanks and talk to you next time.